Hey everyone, it's Brian. Before we get started on this week's episode, I would like to talk to you. Let's Talk About Chef is something that I absolutely love doing. This show has grown so much over the last year, and that is all thanks to you. But, as this show grows, more and more ads want to come on board for the show, I find myself wanting to try something different. I don't want to interrupt the episodes with ads anymore, and I also don't want to deal with companies trying to capitalize on you, the audience, and have me sell you things that I don't care about. And I'm not kidding about weird ads. I've been approached by women's jewelry, workout clothing, and mattresses, all trying to take advantage of the audience that has organically grown around this show to sell you all of the things that you hear about on other podcasts. And I don't want to sell you things that you don't need and are probably never going to use. So from now on, we're going to try an experiment. And this show is going to be ad-free. And is going to be brought to you simply by buymeacoffee.com. Buy Me A Coffee is an amazing website that allows people like me to be able to offer their shows to their listeners and give you the option to simply buy me a coffee. If you feel that Let's Talk About Chef has made a difference in your life, if you love the show and you like what I'm doing, then all I ask from you from now on is if you feel like it, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash L-T-A-C and you can support the show by simply buying me a coffee. That money will go directly to me and that means that this show will keep going. I will make sure to read out who has supported the show at the end of every episode, so please, if you do decide to support it, please fill out the comment sections with your name and restaurant or where people can find you on social media or anything else you want to say, and I would be so happy to shout you out to over 50,000 people just like you who are listening right now. I truly appreciate everyone who listens to this show, and from now on, it will be brought to you by buymeacoffee.com forward slash LTAC. Thanks so much for listening, and now let's get right into this week's episode. Tom Hanks, what is the best sandwich? Uh, ham, ham, ham on Swiss, no, no tomato, lettuce and mustard. Keanu Reeves. Yes. What is the best sandwich? Uh, best sandwich, you mean like for me? It's, or Who else is, would you answer for? I don't know. You could set up at your lab a whole kind of, you know, what would go into the best sandwich balance of flavors. To but, you? Well, that is a, that's a, that, that, me, is a valid, that is a valid if hostile for, response. Okay, I'll answer the question. That is. I'll answer the question. What, for, what, me, for you, for you, two Keanu Reeves. I want to know you. I don't want to know sandwiches. <laughs> I want to know Keanu Reeves. Two Keanu Reeves. What is the best sandwich, sir? Uh, today I'm going to choose... Uh, Toasted, crunchy peanut butter with uh, uh, toasted toast, uh, crunchy peanut butter with honey. Yeah. Oh. Number one, Bradley Cooper. What is the best sandwich? Mm. Uh, uh, onion and mozzarella sandwich on white bread that my grandfather used to make. First question, Jennifer Lawrence. What is the best sandwich? A Cubano. Oh. Bruce, what is the best sandwich? That's, that's easy. Uh, 3 a.m., peanut butter and jelly, big glass of milk. So that's a classic. That's an American classic. There are very few things in life that are more controversial and more debated than what makes the best sandwich. What is the greatest thing that you can put between two slices of bread? 
There were, of course, BLTs, tuna melts, clubs, Cubanos, Montreal smoked meat, and all of those are wonderful and have their own place. But for my money, the best sandwich in the world, the one that I eat regularly and have spent way too much time trying to figure out how to make properly, is the grilled cheese. Yes, the humble, wonderful grilled cheese sandwich. And so today we are going to talk about the king of sandwiches. Because I'm Brian Clark, and this is Let's Talk About Chef. get into the story of how the grilled cheese came to be the best sandwich, we must first look at the history of cheese itself. Cheese is not a new thing. Before humans had iron, royalty, empires, metal tools, or even rode on horses, we had cheese. It's estimated that all the way back in 8000 BC is when cheese was first invented, that's 10,000 years ago, our earliest ancestors were living in the Fertile Crescent or birthplace of civilization in the Middle East. This area was a lot different than it is today, where you'll find sand and deserts now were once lush and green forests and perfect places to plant and raise crops. This is the area where the Egyptians would come to call home in a few thousand years, and it was here, by sheer chance, that the earliest humans started to grow and cultivate crops and also keep animals. Wooden pens would be set up, and these animals like goats and sheep would be captured in the wild and used for meat but more importantly, for milk. As these early farmers started to gather the milk, they would leave it in buckets in the open air, and that's when the magic started to happen. As the milk sat in the sun, it would start to ferment and sour. The lactic acids in the souring milk caused the proteins to coagulate into soft clumps. Farmers, confused, drained the remaining liquid, which would later be called whey, and they found that the yellow globs could be eaten and it's those Neolithic farmers that discovered soft cheese curds. The discovery of cheese gave our ancestors a leg up in the survival game. Milk was rich in protein, fats, and minerals, but it also contained high quantities of lactose, which was difficult for ancient humans to process, true today that some people still can't and aren't able to process lactose properly, and that's no fault of their own. We're technically not supposed to be able to eat it. And these ancient people's bodies weren't used to the high amounts of lactose in milk because milk hadn't been around long enough for our bodies and their bodies to evolve and get used to it. But cheese has a lot less lactose in it than raw milk, and could therefore be eaten safely, giving these farmers all the benefits of adding milk to their diets, making their bodies stronger. Another fact is that they would salt these cheese curds because it would make them taste like something and not just soft cheese, and adding the salt in their diet, if you listen to our Let's Review Salt episode, slowly made their brains get bigger. But even more importantly than that, cheese could be stored and aged for long periods of time, 
So when the farmers made cheese and set it aside in clay pots, they would have food during famines, droughts, winters, allowing humanity to spread further and further from the cradle of civilization and start to slowly make their way across the world. Archaeologists know all of this because of pottery found from this time period that held soft butter and soft cheese. By the end of the Iron Age, cheese was a huge commodity in trade throughout the Mediterranean. In the densely populated cities of Mesopotamia, cheese became a staple of both culinary and religious life. Some of the earliest known writing ever found by humans contains official records of cheese quotas listing different varieties of cheese for both religious rituals and populations across Mesopotamia. Written records of early civilizations in nearby Turkey reference the use of rennet. Rennet, for those that don't know, is an animal byproduct made in the stomachs of some animals that can accelerate the coagulation of cheese curds. Eventually, because of written accounts and word of mouth, the sophisticated way of making cheese started to go around the known world. But just like the game of telephone that you played as a child, where the first person says one sentence by the end of the line it comes out as something similar but usually completely different, people would pass on the knowledge of how to make cheese but change certain aspects about it, resulting in all sorts of different cheeses being made, including the invention of hard cheese. It should be noted that some societies that encountered cheese completely rejected the notion of eating it, their palates being shaped by the world around them. But others fully embraced cheese, like the nomadic Mongolians, who used yak milk to make hard wedges of cheese that they would dry in the sun, and they named Buyaslag. Ancient Egyptians enjoyed eating goat's milk cottage cheese, which they made by draining the whey through reed mats that they made with grasses that grew on the banks of the Nile. In South Asia, milk was coagulated with the addition of acids from food like lemon juice or vinegar and hung to dry in sacks until they turned into loaves of paneer. This cheese could be added to curries and sauces or even fried on its own. A few hundred years later, the Greeks were producing salty, briny feta cheese and also a harder cheese that was aged and is more similar to a Pecorino Romano from today. This harder cheese was grated into tomato sauces and onto pasta in Sicily and used all across the Mediterranean, eventually leading to the invention of Parmesan. In ancient Rome, dry cheese called Cassius Arduis was a ration that was given to their over 500,000 troops along with a satchel of salt while they guarded the borders of the empire. But when the Western Roman Empire fell, cheese continued to be made in the Roman manners that were left behind and dotted the French countryside. In the literal hundreds of Benedictine monasteries that are scattered across Europe, monks constantly experimented with different types of milk and aging processes. These monks were solely responsible for the invention of cheese like Parmesan, Roquefort, and Munster, as well as Swiss cheese being made in the Alps, where monks used a ton of different breeds of animal to create all sorts of Swiss cheeses, including the most popular of them all, Gruyere. The Gruyere region in Switzerland was so popular and profitable due to its cheesemaking mastery that a neighboring state invaded the Gruyere highlands to take control of the cheese trade. Cheese remained popular throughout the Renaissance. It eventually made its way to the Industrial Revolution when cheese stopped being made in monasteries and started to be made in factories. And that takes us to today, where each year around 22 billion kilograms of cheese are made and eaten by us.
stack on my cheddar, stack on my cheddar, stack on my cheddar, stack on my cheddar, uh, cheese, cheese, I got cheese, I got cheese, stack on my cheddar, uh, stack on my cheddar, stack on my cheddar, I got cheese, I got cheese, uh, uh, I got all types of cheese, all different types of cheese, Kobe Jack feta cheese, mozzarella and brie, I got cheese from a goat, I got cheese is blue, Gouda cheese parmesan, Monterey Jack too, and I got cream cheese to make strawberry cheesecake. Cheese is one of my favorite things. And although eating cheese with bread has been around since its inception thousands of years ago, credit for the actual invention of a grilled cheese sandwich goes to the Roman Empire, where written accounts of cheese being heated between two slices of bread have been found. This is far and away from the idea of using butter and heat to toast the bread and was more of a kind of Welsh rarebit or making a cheese sauce and putting it onto toasted bread that you would crisp up by a fire. For thousands of years after this, grilled cheese was pretty much non-existent in text, until the early 1900s when the French started to make croque monsieurs, which is melted cheese and ham on bread. And the first menu to feature a croque monsieur is from 1910. Meanwhile, across the pond in North America, references to melted cheese sandwiches can be found in Sarah Tyson Rohrer's new cookbook published in 1902, and variations on the melted cheese sandwich have appeared in cookbooks all the way up into the 1950s. But again, it's hard for us to think about a time when bread didn't come sliced, and on a vast scale, sliced bread wasn't invented until 1927, when Otto Frederick Rawwetter invented the bread slicing machine. But it wasn't until 1933 that bakeries in America started selling more sliced bread than loaves of bread. The history of grilled cheese sandwich could have just stopped there. Even more, it could have disappeared entirely out of the diets of modern people if it wasn't for something that happened in 1929. The Secretary of the Treasury declared, I see nothing in the present situation that warrants pessimism. That was Black Thursday. But it was not the worst. Time came when the ticker tape in the broker's office told a new story. It was panic. Sixteen and a half million shares of stock sold in a single day. Sold hopelessly, desperately, at any price. Now is the time to buy. I hope you have plenty of the wherewithal. In the Roaring Twenties, steady economic growth ushered in a new era of unprecedented economic prosperity. Business was booming, and profits soared, and new consumer goods were pouring out of factories in North America. The middle class was born, and people were coming from all over the world to seek out the North American dream. But, on October 29, 1929, on what would come to be called Black Tuesday, stock prices on Wall Street plummeted, erasing in one single day more than $14 billion in assets. And the result was the start of the Great Depression, bringing with it no jobs, no hope, and appalling amounts of poor people and desperate people. A record number of businesses failed and closed across the country. In America, one in four people were unemployed. Shack cities or shanty towns were popping up everywhere, nicknamed Hoovervilles after President Hoover. Bread lines became a common sight as hundreds and even thousands of people would stand in lines outside of churches and charities for food, snaking their way through most major cities. 
Farm foreclosures were happening at a rate of 20,000 per month. And seeing as automobiles were relatively common, people took to the newly built highways to look for work from town to town. With all of this poverty, people had limited means of what they could afford to eat. And this is where we get mac and cheese from. But shortly before the Great Depression, James L. Kraft had patented pasteurizing processed cheese, cheese that was cheap to make. And the food that was being handed out to people in bread lines usually consisted of a small amount of butter, a loaf of bread, and processed American cheese. All of the things you need to make a grilled cheese sandwich. From there on out, both sliced bread and processed cheese went full steam ahead. During World War II, Navy cooks prepared countless American cheese-filling sandwiches, as instructed by government-issued cookbooks. In the 1940s and 50s, these were usually served open-faced and consisted of one slice of bread topped with grated cheese. In 1949, Kraft Foods invented Kraft Singles. Individually wrapped slices of processed cheese and supermarkets began stop stocking them in 1965. Also around that time, the second perhaps more important piece of bread was added on top, likely as a way to make the sandwich more filling, and the modern notion of a grilled cheese sandwich was born. This story is a once upon a time story about a boy who snacked one snack at a time and once in a while. Then he tried Kraft American Singles, which are made to be snacked one at a time and once in a while. Singles are individually wrapped, so every single one stays fresh, even if it's the last one in the package. Kraft American Singles are perfect for once upon a time. There's always a happy ending. Grilled cheese sandwiches are one of those things that when you eat it, you don't realize how much history is actually involved. Something as simple as cheese between bread can be perfect. And as a cook, we know how hard it can be to make something perfect. Now, I do not remember the last time I used American cheese or Kraft Singles in a grilled cheese sandwich. It's been a very long time. But living in Canada and surviving the winters here means that usually once a week in the heart of darkness that only January in Ontario can bring, I will find myself with my partner sitting in front of the fire eating grilled cheese with tomato soup. And there are few things in this world as magical as that combination. One of the best things I have ever eaten in my entire life, and something I think about a lot when I'm hungry, is the cheese toasty I had in England not that long ago with Sarah at the Chelsea Flower Show. There was an outdoor mess hall of different vendors, and one of them, and the only one that was busy, was six teenagers pumping out two different types of grilled cheese sandwiches. That was it. And it was amazing. They were trying to save enough money to open a brick-and-mortar restaurant, and sitting there eating that amazing sandwich in the heart of London with a line stretching around the show, I am sure they made enough that week, and they deserve it, and it was amazing. Food has a way of being able to make us remember things. It has a way of triggering our minds when we eat something that can remind us of home. And for whatever reason, grilled cheese sandwiches make me think of home, and that's why they are the best sandwich. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark. I want to thank you all for listening and remind you that if you want to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash L-T-A-C. 
If you can do us a favor and take five seconds of your day to rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen to us on, we would greatly appreciate it. We will be back next week with another new episode. And so until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service and have a great week.